Welcome to the Table for One podcast, a podcast for those of you who are cooking for one. You'll find interviews with people who are cooking for one, nutrition tips, cooking tricks, and other practical topics for all my single listeners. And all without the mention of dieting or restriction because, well, dieting just kind of sucks. So join me as I explore the realities, the challenges, and also highlight the joys of cooking for one in this busy world. Lindsay, I'm so excited to have you on today. I'll just have you start by introducing yourself quickly. Sounds good. I'm so happy to be here talking with you as well. Thanks. Um, my name's Lindsay Kite. I have a couple of different jobs. I'll tell you about both of them briefly. Yeah. Um, I'm the co-director of the nonprofit Beauty Redefined, which I started with my twin sister, Lexi Kite, 10 years ago. Um, and we promote positive body image through our PhD research, which is all about body image resilience. It's like helping girls and women to not only feel better about their bodies, but feel better about themselves by recognizing the role of objectification in their lives and being able to recognize it, work against it, and um, kind of use it as a platform to become even stronger and more empowered in their own bodies. And then I also work full-time for the Clinton Foundation and I help them raise money from individual donors. So that's like my nine to five. But I like both jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how you have time to do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I do my very best, but I don't have a lot of time for anything else. So. Well, yeah. and it's nice. I mean, as you said, you really like what you do. And so to be able to have two jobs, essentially, yeah. in two different fields and, and things that you value and find important, I think that's... That's the American dream right there. Yeah, they're both very fulfilling in totally different ways. They yeah. fulfill different needs and parts of me. So yeah, for now, like I'm busy, but it's good. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think you're a super cool person. So I'm excited to talk to you oh, um, as Lindsay, you know, Lindsay the person. But also I think, you know, with all of the work that you do through Beauty Redefined, I think I'm, I'm excited to get your perspective on eating because it's so tied up with how we view our body and obviously like you're the same person through both lenses but I think it's a really great combination because I don't know I think I think a lot of times people expect people who are in this area of expertise you know working you know with food intuitive eating yeah. body image all of those things to you know live a certain way or to have certain habits and and we're all so different and there's really no good or bad way to, to live and to, to eat in particular. So I'm really excited to talk to yeah. you about eating because you've made it really clear and multiple times to me that you don't cook at all and that's totally fine. And also yeah. <laughs> it's a good and healthy way to live as well. So I'm excited to talk to you about that. Yeah, I'm not much of a cook. So I was kind of hesitant to do this podcast at first because I was like, oh, I don't know if um, this applies to me or if my experiences will really apply to your listeners. But I think you're right that there are just so many different ways to do this. And there's not necessarily a right or wrong way to feed yourself and live your life. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I definitely bring both the personal perspective, but also the professional perspective in terms of body image. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that's uh, interesting to anyone. 
No, I'm sure it is. Cause I, like you said, you weren't sure if you would be a good fit, but I totally disagree with you. And that's what a lot of people say as well when I'm talking to them about this. And I mean, I guess part of it is like, Oh, Hey, we're talking about this cooking for one podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> obviously cooking is in it, but it sounds a little bit better than feeding yourself. <laughs> Although right, that yeah. sounds, you know, I mean, yeah. So yeah, so I'm excited to talk to you about that. Let's let's kind of start from the beginning, if that's okay. Can you tell me a little bit about what eating was like in your house growing up? Yeah, sure. Um, so my family was pretty traditional in terms of having family dinners when my dad got home from work every night. Um, my mom would mostly cook. She would cook. My dad would cook a little bit. Um, and just kind of uh, the same types of meals over and over again. But I never had any complaints, you know. It was... Uh, I didn't know any different. Mm -hmm. Um, We would go out to eat occasionally. I have some very fond memories um, at Sizzler. (laughs) Oh, yeah. As a kid. That's awesome. Um, I remember being really excited when we would drive home from swim team practice, which was an every single day thing. But we would drive past this little crappy Mexican place called Taco John's. Mm -hmm. And every time we'd be like crossing our fingers that we would stop at Taco John's and occasionally, maybe like once a month, we'd stop and be able to get something there. But <laughs> um, going out to eat was um, kind of rare. That's, but yeah. our eating at home was also very regulated. Um, there was lots of emphasis on low fat, high fiber, uh, fruits and vegetables. Are you hungry? Eat an apple, you know, like mm-hmm. don't reach for those salty snack or whatever it was. And it was honestly a lot of emphasis on whatever was big at the time in terms of dieting. Um, So we spent lots of time as a family on restrictive diets. So Atkins being at the top of the list for sure. I remember spending a lot of time counting carbs in middle school. And that lasted all through high school because um, a lot of people lost weight on Atkins. Um, I guess that's what they call keto now. I don't know if they're exactly the same, but a lot of similarities. Yeah, I think I think you're right. They're pretty they're pretty close. Yeah, like no sugar. Um, it ends up being really high fat, high protein, low carb, um, all that kind of stuff. And we, I remember very clearly, like peeing on these little strips that would tell you if your body was in ketosis or burning fat. And so we would, um, yeah, my sister and I and my parents would um, do everything we could to eat. You know, you're supposed to eat fewer than twenty carbohydrates a day. Um, on this crazy diet. And so this wasn't a healthy thing for people. And eventually um, people lost interest because there were some really negative health effects from it over time. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, we would just hope and pray that we could get into ketosis. So your body is burning fat. And, you know, that was like, that was my adolescence. That was just going into puberty. And so being very self-conscious of my body, um, being really athletic and really active, but also just you know, not, not the skinny girl. And so it was, there was a lot of emphasis on losing weight in my family. Yeah. Um, so quick question about that was, were you swimming at that time? Yeah. Uh-huh. Competitively. Do you, did you notice any differences in your like endurance or energy levels or anything oh, while you're doing? Yeah. Can Definitely. you talk a little bit about that? I will never forget the heavy dragging exhaustion that you would get on that diet, on a low carb diet. Um, Lexi and I and my sister have talked about that so many times, just remembering that feeling of like you could barely move an inch when you were um, like depriving your body of all those different food groups Uh and nutrients. And yeah, it's the sickest feeling in the world. And I remember it was 
a big part of our lives, especially in the summers when we were trying so hard to get skinny before school started. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I will just remember a few of those summers just feeling so unbelievably exhausted when I was eating according to those diets. And then, you know, you eat some carbs and come back to life. (laughs) So yeah, it definitely did not help um, swimming performance or anything like that. It's really hard to um, expend any energy when you don't have any to expend, you know? (laughs) Well, and two, like metabolically, carbs are so quickly broken down into being able to be used versus fat. And so if you're (laughs) swimming fast, which you're always going to be doing, even if you are swimming like distance, um, Mm -hmm. you need those carbs. End of story. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I wish I realized that at the time, but it really was all just entirely about, am I losing weight or am I not? Mm -hmm. And so I definitely overdosed on peanuts, turkey bacon, green peppers, sugar-free jello, sugar-free Cool Whip, basically anything with aspartame. Uh (laughs) I remember, yeah, for years, I couldn't eat some of those things afterward because that those were the diet foods, you know, you'd eat um, eggs and those things every single day. Mm -hmm. And I don't like meat really. Um, have never, ever eaten red meat, uh, or many dairy products just have never liked them. Mm -hmm. And so that diet is really, really hard. If you don't care about like bacon or cheese or steak or anything like that, it was rough. Yeah. Well, and for a lot of people, like food is something that we enjoy. And so to take that out of it completely makes it hard to want to eat and to make sure that you have enough energy to swim, to do whatever, just to live. Right. It also creates um, a little bit of obsession around the foods that are off limits. mm -hmm. I definitely remember feeling super fixated on like cereal, chips, um, any other like starchy or carb heavy foods that were really restricted. We just did not have them in the house, Mm -hmm. but we would have them around at special occasions or when I went to a friend's house or something. And I just remember thinking like, I could eat all the chips in the world if they were given to me, you know, if I had access to it. Yeah, and I that's you up for some weird fixations, you know. Yeah, and that's totally natural. Like that's what your body does right. in response to restriction, whether it's actual like calorie restriction or specific foods. That's all you want because our bodies are yeah. really smart and want to withstand exactly. starvation. Right. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. So tell me a little bit about kind of that transition into like college and and post that. How how did your eating habits change? Yeah, I definitely remember once I got out on my own in college, um, I had one of those meal plans like at a cafeteria that was connected to the dorms. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I remember just really eating the same things over and over again, Mm -hmm. um, trying really hard to, again, stay really low carb and, you know, not gain too much weight. But I also remember um, feeling like, oh, wow, there's like this what was it? It was like a sandwich section that used homemade bread. And I remember thinking every day, like what I wouldn't give to just eat one of those sandwiches every single day. Um, So still carrying on a lot of those, um, a lot of the restrictive thoughts around food. Definitely certain foods were good. Certain foods were bad. Um, And it's not that I was constantly um, like following those rules that I had set for myself or I believed that they were real. But if I went off those rules, then I felt really guilty and would bounce back on with, uh, you know, ultra restrictive dieting. And it was really just that cyclical thing that happens to every single one of us who have mm-hmm. ever been on a diet or felt guilty around food. Yeah. You just go from one extreme to the other. You so do. yeah, that lasted a mm-hmm. lot through college. And um, that's been an ongoing thing. Like 
that's really where the whole beauty redefined learning about body image thing picks up because I started learning about that my freshman year of college. Um, that's when I first started to understand feminism a little bit better and some of the ways that women had been held back and were continuing to be held back because of this focus on appearance and especially on thinness. And so I had some of those seeds planted in my mind just by learning about, wait a minute, okay, so not every woman's body is going to fit into this certain mold. Those are just all the bodies I've ever seen. So it's not that I'm this abnormal monster. It's that my body doesn't look like that. And actually, most people's bodies don't either. And maybe they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely, it didn't solve my problems, but it, it started to just plant those seeds of thinking like, maybe there's another way to do this. And so over the next few years, as I went into my master's and PhD, there was a lot more um, emphasis and research that was coming out around um, like health at every size. And this idea that people can be focused on healthy behaviors, regardless of what they weigh. Um, And that was something that really resonated with me. And so I focused my dissertation research around physical health, basically how physical fitness and health is portrayed and defined for women, both in terms of images and the way it's described, Um, the way that's represented in all different types of media, but also in medical research, in academic research, and the ways that that really limits our perceptions of what healthy means, because overwhelmingly, it's a very objectified, appearance-focused, weight-focused perspective. Um, Even when the research shows that weight and um, size are not good predictors of your health, or your mortality. So that's that was really interesting for me to see through and to recognize how food and eating plays into that so much, how so many women fall prey to trying to make their bodies fit a certain mold, and that actually backfires and screws up our hormones and all the chemistry in our bodies, as well as our relationship with food. And so a lot of women will be on this real up and down yo-yo dieting um, cycle for their whole lives, because it's like you said, that's natural. If your body is going to reject the um, restriction and deprivation and maybe go to another extreme. It's so true. Yeah. And about when you brought up, um, you know, going to the gym and exercise and stuff too. I remember when I was in college, I went, I joined a new gym and they had a thing where you could go and meet with a personal trainer. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I grew up doing ballet and stuff. So weightlifting was never anything that I did consistently. And so, so for me, it was really, you know, I liked being able to meet with somebody and to learn what to do. But I remember, you know, this like, I don't know, 20, 21 year old or something that I was going in and and the trainer was like, so tell me what you're here for. Like, is there a certain amount of weight that you want to lose? And I am really lucky in the fact that that was not something that I was really, you know, focusing on or anything. And, and I said, Oh no, not really. I'm just here to like, you know, to learn how to, to lift weights and blah, 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 whatever else. And he like almost didn't know how to respond because he's never ever had anybody say that to him. And it just goes right along with the focus on weight over anything else. Oh yeah. That's still the case with so many people, especially at gyms Mm -hmm. because personal trainers, like for all of their training and education, they're not prepared when someone comes in and says, my goal is not to lose weight, you know? Yeah. 
they oh. really need to focus on so many other ways to be able to measure a, per- a person's fitness, which is so easy to do in a gym setting, mm-hmm. yet they are deferring to what the scale says to show if someone's improving their health. It, it drives me nuts. Well, and to, you know, knowing hydration status, I mean, it's yeah. just crazy to go and focus on weight when it, you know, I mean, drink an extra two cups of water and there's your pound. Right. Congratulations. Right. You know, you don't go to the bathroom <laughs> or you've built stronger muscles and now you're feeling feeling negatively about that because you're actually stronger, but your weight goes up. Mm-hmm. That's some craziness. Yeah. And that's, that does not reflect you being less healthy. It, it yeah. not when you're, yeah, but it does when you're focusing on weight. Absolutely. It does. Yeah. It's a huge problem. Yeah. So let's dive in and talk a little bit about, um, eating for you. So tell me a little bit about what, tell me about your normal week of eating. Yeah. So I live in New York city. <laughs> I live, um, in midtown and i work in midtown full time so my food and eating really revolves around um work and proximity like Mm -hmm. that's one thing i'm really realizing living here is that my time is limited and also the places that i'm willing to go or even able to go at times to Mm -hmm. get food are limited so my choices revolve around what's between my work and my home or where I'm at for um, a work meeting or whatever. And so a lot of it, my food really like, I don't know, probably 75% of it is just to go salads. Like, mm-hmm. uh, and not just salads, but that's something that I find I'm usually pretty content with is like a nice big salad that has um, chicken and I don't know, I like arugula and then any other variation of like dressings and um, vegetable toppings that go with that. So there are just a few places that are pretty near my apartment and near my work that I go constantly. So I'll eat at the same, I don't know, five or six places every single week uh, for lunch and dinner. And it's super repetitive, but I've never had a problem with, um, repetition in eating. I would eat the same thing every day for two months and be fine with it. That's good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it just, it doesn't bother me at all. I find one salad that I love right now. It's this chain restaurant here called Hale and Hardy. And it's just like a takeout soup and salad place. And they have a delicious chicken Caesar salad. I get balsamic vinaigrette instead of the Caesar because I don't like Caesar. Mm -hmm. Um, And then a 10 vegetable soup that is so good. And I get that That like twice a week. And yeah, it's great. That's awesome. Well, and I, you know, I, like I said before, I'm just happy to talk to you about eating out because it a hundred percent can totally fit. And at the end of the day, my um, approach to eating is really like eat foods that you enjoy and really find ways of eating that reduce your stress. So for you with as busy as your um, job and life is, like Mm -hmm. taking extra time to go shopping and then go cook and do all of those things, I'm guessing would add a lot of stress to your life. What what do you have to say about that? It definitely would add a lot of stress to my life because it's just like one more thing on my to-do list. Yeah. Um, But it's also a matter of cost effectiveness, which sounds crazy because I am definitely spending a lot of money getting these to go meals all the time, Mm -hmm. but the alternative isn't much savings. I haven't priced it out exactly. Um, I've been thinking about doing that, but groceries here are super expensive. Like Mm -hmm. I live in the middle of Manhattan. And when I first moved here, I was just absolutely floored at how much produce cost. Mm -hmm. And I could walk half a mile and go to the whole foods. That's um, half a mile away. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, it's winter and uh, carrying anything back that's heavy in this cold is just like the worst thing in the world. And I've done it a couple of times and just thought, why am I doing this? This is insane. Mm-hmm. So um, part of it is the expense. I've started getting groceries delivered because that's really the only way to have um, any like decent produce or any perishable foods on hand mm-hmm. um, for any given time. So I do Instacart. I get my groceries delivered. I have just like a set um, kind of menu of things that I've gotten a few times and then I just hit reorder and I have it delivered in the time frame um, after I get home from work. Like this week I ha- I was scheduled to have my groceries delivered one day and then things kept coming up in the evening. So I had to reschedule it four times, but <laughs> I still was able to get the things I needed, you know? That's um, awesome. And it would be hard without grocery delivery, but it's definitely like a privileged thing I recognize to be able to go out to eat all the time and to get your groceries delivered and like pay people's tips and service fees and all that kind of stuff just to be able to save some time. Mm-hmm. But the expense of it, especially cooking for one and wasting so much food when I am buying, you know, full size produce and um, all those other items is actually um, not that outrageous when I really add it up. Yeah, that's I those are good points that you brought up. I think, again, it's just all about working within, you know, what you like to do and also what your life is like right now. And, you know, maybe you would have time to cook down the line or you would, you know, have the opportunity to to cook and find that you like it and maybe not. And that's okay. But just to know that there are ways to work within the constraints or like the life that you have right now to make it easy, doable, and then you can get on with your life and do other things that you enjoy. (laughs) Yeah. I do definitely feel like this is a particular season of my life. Mm -hmm. Like it's my first year in New York and I'm honestly still adjusting and trying to figure out how to live my life, even um, in terms of like lunches and dinners every day, Mm -hmm. because what I'm doing right now, maybe it's not sustainable for the long term, And I don't think it needs to be. It's just what is working for me right now. Mm -hmm. And like you said, taking some of that stress off my plate um, in terms of time and also, um, just looking out for myself, you know, I, yeah, I'm cooking for myself. I don't particularly love cooking at this point. I do have a teeny tiny kitchen um, and food goes bad really fast here. I, I think it's the humidity. I don't really know what the deal is. Yeah. Maybe. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you're right about uh, stress relief or minimizing that being a huge factor. It really is. Yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, treating it as a season is so helpful because I think, I think it's, it's kind of universal, maybe not in every single like demographic group, but I would say pretty universally, like the ideal and I'm putting like air quotes as I say this, it's just, you know, within diet culture and like society, you know, you think, okay, well I should be cooking. And at the end of the day for a lot of people, like it's not, it's not feasible. Maybe there's not grocery stores that are convenient for you to get to. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, you just end up finding that you waste a lot more food when you buy food and then, you know, yeah. life keeps changing and then you have to find mm-hmm. something else. And I think just keeping the perspective of this could change and that's great, but it might not. And that's okay too, um, yeah. is helpful just to kind of like, calm your mind down. Cause even if the, even if there's things that you don't want to do, Oh geez. Even if there's things that you don't want to do deep down, there's still that like guilt that kind of hangs around. Yeah. There's some judgment around it for sure. Yeah. And it could be internalized. It could be from external sources from everywhere. And, and it's hard to navigate with that. 
it is yeah my any judgment I feel is definitely coming from my own mind just because Uh I have this ideal of like I should be reasonable and just have a fully stocked fridge of groceries all the time and have a few things that I can cook for myself all the time and I should be happy with that but instead when I do that like you said I waste that food because I travel so much Uh that if I don't finish the whole bag of apples or the bag of lettuce or whatever then it just goes to waste and then I have to take it to the garbage chute which is also really annoying because I don't have a garbage disposal here so another thing there too yeah so with that said do you have any tips for I mean not cooking for one but any tips that help you make eating easier for yourself um well this might not be really related to what you're asking but I That's try right. to plan as many dinners with friends as I can. Oh yeah. Because I just find that especially with single people who are busy and working, Mm -hmm. being able to sit down for a meal is like one of the most sure bets that you're going to be able to connect with someone and spend time with them. It's so true. That's such a good point. I love to go out to dinner with friends. I spend most of my work lunches um, with coworkers, which I also really love. It's just fun to be able to um, sit down and like bond with people mm-hmm. but I definitely find with dinners um, it one of the ways that I take care of myself is making sure that I'm scheduling like at least one friend a week just to be able to sit down and have dinner like food is so often a social thing yeah. and so when you're like isolating yourself and honestly maybe I'm associating cooking with isolating myself because it definitely becomes a solitary activity mm-hmm. and I don't enjoy it as much as I do when I'm actually talking to people and eating. Yeah. See, and it's, these interviews are fun because sometimes those, you know, little realizations come out yeah. and, it, and it totally could be because maybe that's your experience so far. And, yeah. and when you can just meet a friend at a restaurant, like that's mm-hmm. a social thing. And I, yeah, I, I like that you brought that the dinners up with friends because you know, for you being really busy, you, everybody has to eat at some point. And so to be able to like kill two birds with one stone is a really great way to, you know, to live your life, I guess, especially when you're busy. It it works and it's fun. And that is something that I look forward to. Mm -hmm. So, Um, so true. Do you have any other tips? Oh, other little things I do that just help me. I would say I, I have kind of a hoarder mentality sometimes. Like if I find something that I like, not food related, but if I find like, um, for example, like a lotion or a perfume or something that I like, Mm -hmm. I'll, if I find it and it goes on sale, I'll buy 10 of them. Oh yeah. I just want to make sure that I have them and they don't go out of stock or whatever, Uh because that's happened to me a bunch of times. And I find that I used to kind of have that mentality with food. Like if I find a granola bar that I really like, then I'll buy five boxes and, um, you know, make sure that I always have them on hand, mm-hmm. but I've actually realized it helps me to just remember to, um, shop in really small batches because then I'm not wasting anything because I do have so much transition and travel and busyness in my life and so many work lunches and dinners. Yeah. Um, it helps me to just, no, I don't, I know the whole bag of apples is cheaper than buying them individually, but for me, it's better to just buy three apples cause then I'm not throwing away the other six. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point because you might be saving money, but you know, I mean, somebody else could buy that food and and be able to enjoy it. And you know, there's even like, 
with your best intentions, seeing food go bad is just such a sad, yeah, sad it thing. Is. It's so sad, yeah. <laughs> that judgment creeps back in and for good reason, because that should have been good food for somebody. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> Yeah. Um, all right. So we're kind of near the end of our time here. Do you have any, any last thoughts or any, any, well, I guess one thing that we didn't talk about that I want to talk about really quickly, um, is about eating and, and, you know, with your perspectives on being yeah. or, uh, body image and stuff, how, how have things changed for eating for you? I mean, did you already talk about that or is there anything else you wanted to say? Does no. that make sense? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm like totally blabbing here. <laughs> No, you're not. You're fine. No, yeah, let's go into that. Um, I think that's really relevant for a lot of people. And I definitely don't claim to have it all figured out. Um, I actually don't think anyone does. I think it's a, a personal thing and it'll change in seasons of your life. As so for true. so many of us, especially mm-hmm. for women who um, grew up or might still be in that mode of like measuring our weight and really evaluating our bodies according to how big or how small they are or you know, how firm or toned, whatever, Mm -hmm. we're so used to evaluating our health, as well as our self esteem on our bodies. And so, of course, we've learned to connect eating with that, Mm -hmm. you know, eating, whether you're gonna look good the next day, or you're gonna fit into those clothes at the when school starts or whatever, if you're gonna look good in your swimming suit. And so yeah, eating is really fraught. It is a really um, complicated thing. Mm -hmm. So for me, I went from so much restriction at a young age to then freedom in college and later that I definitely went through a period where it was like um, not quite to the uh, the definition of binging, but certainly that feeling of, okay, I now have access to these foods that I have always wanted and I already ate something bad today. So this whole weekend I'm going to eat whatever I want. So I'm, you know, like buy those donuts and buy the crackers, whatever else. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there were definitely long periods of time where I would be um, doing that yo-yo thing back and forth between restricting all week and eating whatever I wanted on the weekend and starting again Monday. And that's like a tale as old as time. So many of us recognize that. Yeah. Um, But over time, as I learned more about all the shame that we have surrounding food and our bodies, and I started to feel so much less shame about my body, that definitely decreased any compulsiveness that I felt around food Mm -hmm. and so that will still come up sometimes like even for me if I go through something where I feel extremely insecure about my body or I feel really ashamed about um you know something that I've experienced or some rejection that I felt or you know anything like that relating to how I look then I still have to be super conscious and aware of how those feelings are affecting the way I want to eat Mm -hmm. because I will try to drown my sorrows with food. I don't do a lot of things that um, would numb me or, you know, get me high or take me out of um, feeling negative and shameful. And so for a lot of people in that situation, we turn to food and Mm -hmm. I'm still tempted to do that. Um, But I think being really conscious and aware of, of that shame and how unnecessary it is has helped me to recognize when it's happening and then tap into all of the other skills and knowledge that I have to be able to make different choices. And so it's okay to eat when you're sad or um, when you're feeling shame or whatever. There's nothing wrong with eating. But there are so many other things that we can do and that I do 
to be able to um, snap out of it and actually feel better later instead of feeling worse. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's part of the whole body image resilience model that Lexi and I have been promoting through Beauty Redefined through our PhD research. Um, It's helping people to recognize those coping mechanisms that we all use, like overeating or um, being really compulsive around exercise or whatever. Like you recognize when it's happening, what's causing it. And then you find alternatives in all of these different realms that we aren't even tapping into using your knowledge, your spiritual power, your physical power. I like to walk a lot. So that's easy to do in the city. There's a million things to see just within like a mile in any direction. Yeah. So I do a ton of walking and exploring the city. Um, I try to talk to a lot of people, keep in touch with friends from home, make new friends here. Um, I write in my journal a lot when I'm feeling um, down or I've been through something really hard. I try to really write it out and that really helps me process things. So I don't feel such a need to turn to food or something else that um, is even more harmful than that. Mm -hmm. And that's been a huge help for me just to be really present and aware of my motivations for eating or for not eating because it goes the other way too. You know, sometimes I'm tempted to restrict or, um, you know, like cut out food groups or whatever, just to see if it makes me feel any better this week. Um, When in reality, it's all those ideas around if I'm smaller, I'll be happier. And that's not true. We just have to challenge those thoughts. Yeah, if I'm smaller, I'll be happier. That's such a like real thing that so many that diet culture and so many things in life try to teach us. But it, I yeah. mean, like if anybody sits down and thinks about their life, is that really true for us on the individual level? I don't think so. It's I certainly mean, not true for me. Yeah, I guess maybe to some degree with like fat phobia and oh, yeah. um discrimination in that way. And that's awful, but that's not something that we can change ourselves, unfortunately, in terms of like for, you know, to make everybody else be kind to each other. Right. Yep. We'll never be able to control like any of the legitimate discrimination that happens, whether it's from employers, healthcare professionals, um, romantic partners, you know, Mm -hmm. even just strangers on the street, people are still going to have that fat phobia. They're going to be mean. It's all outside of our control. But what we can control is um, how we react to those situations and even to some extent how we feel about it. Like, I'm probably bigger or close to the biggest I've ever been in my life. Mm -hmm. And I have honestly never been happier or felt better about my body. Um, And I can say that unequivocally. Yeah. Um, It has nothing to do with the way I look. It's the way I feel about my life and who I am as a person and what I am doing with my time Mm -hmm. and all of that um just feeds into positive self-worth it's not just um I look great and so I feel great that doesn't really work it doesn't Mm -hmm. add up like that um yeah it's all a matter of I think recognizing all of the different forces that go into making us feel bad and then finding ways to challenge them and react differently because it is possible to feel better no matter how you look, even if you're bigger than you thought you were going to be at this stage in your life or yeah. bigger than other people in your life think is okay. Um, this is such an individual and personal thing. And I'm more optimistic than anyone that as women continue to challenge those standards and those feelings of shame, that we can be better and stronger and happier and even feel better about our bodies because of that pain that we once felt and may continue to feel. 
Yeah, that's such a good point. Thank you. And going back to um, all of the work and the focus that you have on resilience in Beauty Redefine, I think that's so important because like you said, you know, you have this idea of what, A, what your body is going to look like someday. Unfortunately, we all do that. But I think yeah. with that comes this expectation of like, oh, okay, now that I'm over that, I'm just going to be over that all the time. And uh-huh. there are so many things that throw that off for us. And it can, it's different for each of us and, and different seasons of our lives as well. And, oh, yeah. and so to assume that, you know, like you become, you you know, throw out diet culture and then you're, you know, able to live free of that. That's just not the case for us who do this for our jobs, for literally everybody. And so I'm glad that that model is included because it incorporates the fact that it's not going to be like perfect from here on out because that's not life at all. (laughs) So to have the tools to be able to bounce back after we have those, Mm -hmm. those experiences that kind of shake us for a minute. Right. Right. Yeah. It's an ongoing thing. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean it's always going to be as hard as it is right now. Yeah. Because honestly, it's not like you learn more, you practice having different reactions to those feelings of shame and those, you know, horrible things that happen to us from other people or just from living these lives, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But it'll get easier. Your reactions can get more um, like second nature instead of hurting yourself or doing something that will make you feel worse later it's so much easier to just practice those things over and over again um, and find reactions that'll become so much more second nature and, um, and happier too. You know, you'll feel better in the process, even if it's hard at first. Yeah, that's a good point. It might be hard, but it doesn't mean that it's not worth it and it'll benefit us in the long run. And I think, I think to some degree, like we can feel that in the moment. So even though, you know, you feel like it's hard and it, you don't quite see the whole picture. We, Mm -hmm. I think at least we get glimpses of the impact that it can have on our lives. Cause it's, you know, I mean, you have to like taking other people's words is, (laughs) is hard without experiencing that. But I think there is something to making these changes and, and feeling it for ourselves whether it's just being overall happier or, you know, being able to have the brain space to focus on anything outside of the way that our bodies look. (laughs) Oh yeah. I can attribute most of my like positive self-worth and just general feelings of happiness about my life to that because so much less of my mental energy is being taken up by worrying whether I look good enough to live the life that I have or to go out and get what I want. It's no longer that factor for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm proving myself right. Like, when I believe that my body doesn't um, shouldn't prevent me from like having a great job or meeting cool people and um, you know, even having great romantic relationships and I actually go out and get those things, then I'm proving myself right. You know, Mm -hmm. and I have proved myself right, especially just in the last, I don't know, like six or seven months since I moved to New York, I've been really trying to challenge um, any of those negative self beliefs, especially about my body that ever held me back. And I'm right. Like if I don't believe those things, then I can find other people who don't believe them either. And life is just so much better on the other side of um, holding yourself back because you're not the weight or size or appearance you thought you needed to be in order to go out and get what you want. Yeah, that's so true. So it's worth experimenting with, if anything. It's so worth it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was so great talking to you. Is there anything else that you wanted to share or any announcements of something big coming up in the next year? Hmm. Not oh, that I'm well. prodding. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good question. Um, it is a little less than a year from now. Yes, Lexi and I will be releasing our first book. 
Um, it's the title is more than a body. And yeah. the subhead is your body is an instrument, not an ornament, which I should have mentioned because that's really key to everything we do. Think of your body as an instrument for your use, not an ornament to be looked at. And it yeah. really changes the game when it comes to your health. Um, so yeah, that's being published with Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Um, a nice big publisher here in New York, which is really fun. And that'll be in January, 2021. So at the beginning of January, just in time for all the new year's resolutions and all that. Yeah. What a better resolution. Oh, yeah. awesome. I'm excited for that. That's about a year out. That's very yes. exciting. So it feels like it's forever away, but I hope it comes fast. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it will for sure. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you, Rebecca. You're so great. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then, oh yeah. So you can be found at beauty redefined on, on yeah. online and then on Instagram, Instagram and stuff. beauty underscore redefined. And then our website is beautyredefined.org. Okay. Awesome. Thanks. Great talking to you. Yep. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the table for one podcast with Rebecca. Continue the conversation over in the table for one Facebook group. Find recipes or work with me over at nourishnutritionblog.com. Or actually the easiest way is to follow me on Instagram at Nourish Nutri Co. And you can click the link in my profile to get more great resources for cooking for one. Talk to you next week.